Good morning and happy Sabbath. So glad you guys are here. You're probably a little bit confused. You were here last week. You saw Pastor Dwight. He was preaching. He's in the middle of a series, uh, Think Local, Act Global. I want to let you know that series is going to continue for the next two weeks. He'll be back. Um, and we're excited that we get to engage in that conversation as part of our global church. But for right now, uh, we're returning back to the summer series that's being put on by the uh, pastoral staff. And uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Sabine was here. If you haven't had a chance to, uh, if you weren't here and you missed it, I want to let you know it's online, pmchurch.org, and please get caught up with it. It was a masterful presentation um, about taking this road trip. Are, are we there yet? She asked the question. Um, and it's really powerful, and, I, and I'm just adding to what, to what she's saying and, and the pastors that follow. We're building some really interesting, meaningful metaphors uh, for you guys this morning. So this morning is <laughs> Road Chip, How Detours Can Get Us There Another Way. Pray with me this morning. Holy Father, I just want to thank you so much because you are the God of all. Uh, you are the God of man, of woman. You are the God of mankind. Um, you are the God of those who are sick. You are the God of those who are well. You are God of the brokenhearted. Uh, you are even the God of all kinds of people that we couldn't imagine because you love us all. Your love is all-inclusive, and your redemption, your healing is available to all of us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I want to talk to you a little bit this morning, kind of set up this experience for you. Um, let, me, let me tell you a few things, because this topic can be kind of awkward, okay? It can be really awkward. You may, you may have an idea of what I'm going to talk about, and some of you are going to be like, I've never heard this preach from the pulpit. Yes, it's okay. So let me, let me disarm it. If it's not awkward for me, how about it not be awkward for you? Amen? Amen? So... It's not awkward for me. Here's why it's not awkward for me, and this is why I'm inviting you uh, to not feel awkward about it. Here's, here's real simple. This is my story. This is, this is uh, my testimony this morning. This is how God has been showing up in my life. And it's a powerful power testimony that has redeeming and healing qualities. Uh, it's not a confessional. Uh, it, it's not an invitation for a pity party. Um, it's, it's not uh, some narcissistic tendency to just focus all the world around me. But it really is my story. It's, it's my song. It's how I'm giving praise to God for the amazing things that he's done through a very significant detour in my life. Amen? Amen. All right, so not awkward for me. Not awkward for you. We're just going to have a testimony. Amen? Um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm divorced. I was first introduced to divorce as a young kid, fifth grade. My own parents had been divorced. Differences, this community uh, was a part of that. It experienced it. And in my recent history, I have now personally gone through a divorce. And it is perhaps the most painful, most difficult, most traumatic thing uh, that I've ever been through. And that is probably true for anyone. I, I remember walking across campus. I was having a, a prayer walk, and I came across this man who's a man's man, you know, one of our maintenance guys, really strong. I have a great respect for him. And I, I had known that he had been divorced, and I went up to him, and I, and I asked him the question, hey, uh, you'd been divorced before, right? 
And he, he said, yeah. I was, and and, and this, was, this is what struck me. The first thing he said was, it was the most traumatic experience that I've ever been through in my entire life. And in that moment, I just felt a kinship to this individual. I, I, I had very little context for what caused it, what happened. That didn't really matter. <laughs> it didn't really matter. What happened is this guy understood my journey, and he could empathize with me in a very special way. And he agreed. It is the most difficult thing that he's ever gone through. So this morning, here's, here's my first appeal, and let me say this. If you're married right now, don't settle. If something is off, if something is not right, if there's something that is not honoring God, not bringing excellence to your marriage, right, address it. Talk about it. Decide for yourselves, you know, husband, wife, something is not right. I, I don't know how to describe it. I don't know how to articulate it. Just something seems off. Let's take a detour and let's, let's address this because right now you are a major, you are a major source of abundant grace to me. You, you present, my spouse presents an opportunity for me to have an abundance of joy and happiness in my life. And if, and if that's not happening, what are you waiting for? You're there. Talk about it. Address it. Take a detour and say, you know what? Let's dig up some things. Let's talk about some things and let's really focus. Let's really focus on it. Now, the rest of the message, the testimony, is really just kind of painting a picture of how individuals who arrive at a point where this is the way it's going, this is the way that it's been, how can we do this well? You know, is the moment where you enter a divorce process, is that when you stop being a Christian? Is that when you give up on your faith? Do the demands of the gospel and the expectations and the healings of the gospel, do they stop there? Or is God at that time calling us to live out a gospel in a way that we didn't know we would have to? And so my appeal this morning is, let's, let's, let's make a choice when we're confronted with these situations, whether it's you yourself or maybe it's a family member or a close friend, to ask ourselves, how would God have me to live honorably through this time? In this moment, in my road trip, in my journey, how can I bring glory and honor to God? Um, I, I took a road trip a couple of weeks ago, uh, to calibrate, recalibrate my life and just recast some vision. Um, and I'm really thankful. Uh, in Illinois, they have these rest stops. They don't call them rest stops. They have, they're called Oasis. Inside the Oasis, you go and you get refreshments. I was really excited on this, on this road trip. I found some really wonderful Oasis. I, I drove out to Minneapolis. I was there with Pastor Jason, um, and I spent uh, a couple of nights with him, and it was great. Uh, the ministry that was there just really provided some recalibration. I hung out with my good friends Nadine and Von Nelson, who some of you know, uh, in Lincoln, and uh, we were able to connect. And just these are people who were oasis throughout my journey. Um, and then I went to Camp Kita. Camp Akita, and some of you know I came from Illinois Conference. Um, I was there just as the very beginning of Camp Akita started, and I just, I just basked in God's creation. And, it, and, and so some of what you're getting this morning, some, because there's, <laughs> the hardest thing about this is that there's a lot that you could say, but some of what you're getting this morning is just um, what's brewed to the top in this road trip that I took. So I got back into town. I was in South Bend, um, and I wanted to go home. I lived just off of Kep Park. I looked to make a right. 
uh, into Hardings to go down Mechanic, and guess what I see before I make the right? Road closed. Do not enter. Okay, I was all right, okay. I'll just go down Main Street. <laughs> go down to Main Street, drive down Main. Guess this is, what's the next sign that I see? Road closed. And I say to myself, well, this is interesting. This is, this is a two-stoplight town, and, and I have run into two road closed. So I was like, you know what, I'll just, I'll come back around and take mechanics. So I made a right, get to mechanic. Guess what's on the left-hand side right there? Road, road closed. So I'm asking myself, okay, do you not want me to get home? Is, is the town purposefully quarantining me from getting home? Because all it's telling me, all the signs that are telling me is just this road is closed. It doesn't say you can go that way, you can go this way to get to your destination, go this way. There's nothing. It just says road closed. Well, I finally figured it out. I head down to Bluff, come around to Washington, grab Kephart, and I'm on my way home. Um, frustrated because there was no direction. The road was simply closed. No, nowhere to go. I, I kind of had to fumble around and figure it out all by myself. Leaving town, want to head to St. Joe. So, <laughs> I grab, I, 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 I come up Kephart. I made the mistake. I don't even know why. I, anyway, I come up Kephart. Okay, so I figured out this maze. Get on, um, get on M139, old 31 for those old timers here. Uh, start heading to St. Joe. And more construction. And I want you to know, on my road trip, I drove 2,000 miles. There's road construction everywhere, everywhere. Um, so we're not alone. We're not alone. All right, so uh, drive down, and I can tell, oh, great. It says, the, the, the blinking sign said something. In fact, M139 uh, closed. And I'm thinking, oh, golly, how am I supposed to figure this out? And then it says, follow detour. Follow the detour. And now what's really exciting is, when we see detours, we usually don't get excited about them, right? We don't. Um, detours are really inconvenient. You know, you plug in your GPS, you say you want to go to this destination, uh, you're intending to go there, it says one hour, one hour to get to your destination, you run into a detour, and all of a sudden, hour and a half, right? You're like, oh, this is terrible, this is not part of my plan, I, I totally timed this trip so that I could, you know, get there in an hour, now I got an hour and a half What's up with this? Very frustrating. Detours are very inconvenient. Um, the other things are is that detours are kind of messy. You know, they're digging up the road. There's dust everywhere. You may have just washed your car. All of a sudden, you got this dust cloud that's covering it. Uh, I was driving by because uh, when I was, I figured out the detour by now, and these people were just watching the wind right here in town just pick up all this dust. And it was just like we were in the middle of the Sahara Desert. You couldn't, you couldn't see down M139 past McDonald's. It was just like, and that's most of town, you know. So it's just like, how do you, how? So detours are messy. And, and then you begin, then when you're going through a detour, you begin to see things that you never cared about. You never cared about how a road is built. What are these? And, and you're seeing there, and it's like a four-foot drop. You know, here in town, they're putting in these uh, sewage pipes and waste pipes and water pipes. And, and you're just saying, I, you know, now I know. I didn't really care to know, but now, thanks to this detour, I know some things. So it's inconvenient. It's messy. You begin to see things that you didn't really know that you wanted to see and explore. 
But here's, here's the thing. You, th th there's two ways to go. You can come to a spot where the sign says road closed, right? And you, just, and you wonder, road closed, what do I do? I could just, am I just going to shut off the car, park in front of the sign and say, okay, this is where I'm at. Or the other way to do this is to say to yourself, okay, this way is no longer a viable option. Is there another way? Detour. That's what we're talking about this morning. It's really just making a decision that we want to go another way. The, the original plan did not work. Not a choice. Not anymore. So, you have a choice. You park in front of the road close sign and you go nowhere. Or you say to yourself, Lord, could you show me what the detour is? Which way can I go? Because that's all a detour is going to do. Take you to the place that you want to be, just following a very different path. So, <laughs> the, the biggest question is always, how, how does this even happen? How do you even get there? Um, let me tell you. Uh, the day that it became clear to me, the day that it became clear to me that different choices were being made, that weren't my choices, was perhaps the worst day of my life. And not just my life, her life as well, even though it was her choice. Worst day of my life. I remember um, just going into my room, and, 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 and you have these moments. I, I, say it, I say it kindly, and I say it affectionately. Tears are my friend, right? Tears are your friends. All of a sudden, when, when you've been through some serious trauma, tears are not a problem anymore. You just realize, hey, this is, this is feeling. This, is, this happens. We have feelings. They come out, sometimes in really messy, obnoxious ways. But they do. I remember getting in the car. My folks were still living in town at that time. And I swear, if a cop had seen me, they would have pulled me over for drunk driving. I could just, I couldn't see, I couldn't feel, I couldn't think. Total shell shock. Total shell shock. How is it that this is, this is, how am I here? All I can see in that moment, all I could see in that moment was road closed. Road closed. You can't, I can't, where can I go? What do I do? Went to my parents. They provided comfort. I went to a good friend. A uh, very small circle at the very beginning. Very small circle. I went to a good friend, and he, he, he outlined some really solid steps for me. Some very critical, went to Pastor Dwight, just outlined some very critical first steps. Because when, when, you're, when you're parked in front of that road close sign, you're just saying, Lord, I need a way out. Get me home. Get me home some, I don't know how to do this. Nobody ever does. Nobody ever does. You may be that friend that somebody comes to, and, and, and you realize, and they, they, for whatever reason, you're a safe person to them. They're trusting you. Don't mess around with that trust. Don't mess around with it. They're trusting you. I hope after today's message, you can, you can just identify some key things that you can help them, those first steps that they can take. It's really important. God is going to present some oasis. <laughs> you gotta, you, you got to be willing and ready to be an oasis to someone because you never know what's going to happen. So um, first steps. One of the first questions that you ask yourself is, 
Um, and and, and there's, a, there's a lot. You know, there's probably too many. But one of the very first ones is, okay, Lord, um, I remember, you know, X number of years ago talking about who I would want for a life mate. I, I remember, and I, and I want to say that you and I had some pretty intentional conversations about that. How is it that you led me this way, and now this way is changing? How is it? I mean, you've done this with your job probably. You've asked God, hey, Lord, should I take this job? You take it. All of a sudden, it's a disaster. And you're kind of wondering, Lord, I'm pretty sure we had a conversation about this. How is it that we ended up here? Um, so I want to invite you, 1 Samuel chapter 9. We're just going to dig into the Word uh, real quick. If you really don't, if you don't mind, we would love to. I just, I just kind of want to. This is a really important first question, especially if you're a Christian. <laughs> Especially if you're a Christian, you, you, you've invited God into this journey, saying, Lord, I want to be in this forever. I, I, I was certain I was following your way, okay? So 1 Samuel um, chapter 9. Just before chapter 9, uh, what happens is, this is where we are in Israel's history. Remember Israel called special people. God wanted them to be um, a light in the darkness. He wanted them um, to be a witness to all the world. Well, here they are, and they're having some issues, per usual. And they come to Samuel. They're looking all around them, and they're seeing that every country has a king. Um, and what happens is Samuel's children, they don't do a good job being judges and being prophets. And they come to Samuel, and they said, Samuel, give us a king. Come on. Let's, let's get on with this. this. This nonsense of having a prophet lead us. Let's just let's give us a king. Samuel gets really offended. God talks to him says, Samuel, don't worry. Don't be offended. Don't. Hey, They've been doing this to me since Egypt. This is, this is not out of the norm. This is per usual. They're not offending you. They're offending me. Their choice is offending me. But you know what? Let them know uh, what a king will do. And so God goes about uh, finding a king. Okay? So his, his prized possession are his people. Right? His treasure are his people. It's Israel. He intends to accomplish so much for the gospel through his people. Right? That's, that's what he intends to do. Uh, so he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go find the bottom of the barrel. No. No he, no, he doesn't. He says, I want the cream of the crop. I want excellent. I want the best. I want something amazing to be king. Because these are my people. I care so much about them. Uh, so what does he do? All right, 1 Samuel 9, verse 1. There was a Benjamite. A man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abdiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Apophiah of Benjamin. He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. So when I've done weddings, I get to meet with the couples, and I get to know them, and it's exciting. We do premarital counseling, and when I get to the wedding, it may be the first time that I meet the parents, and one of the most exciting things is when I get to this, meet the parents, oftentimes the mom or the dad, one of the parents will come up to me and say, you know what, we're really excited about the decision that our son or daughter is making. But, but what even makes it more exciting is that they come from a good family, right? There's, there's nothing, but not only is it great to pick an amazing spouse, but if that spouse comes from a really good family, right? It, it means something more. It means that this person has values and virtues. There's alignment with God. There's a commitment there. And so you're saying to yourself, man, we're really going to hit it out of the park this time. And that's the text is telling us here. Saul comes from a good family. He's an upstanding guy. 
His family is known and he's recognized. But not only that, he's an impressive young man. And it says that he stood heads above everybody else. Now, I think that means two things. I think that physically, he was probably really tall. So he was like, you know, smooth and like good looking, kind of like me. Right? This is a smooth brother. No shortage of ego here, Debbie. Uh, smooth, good-looking, stood, stood up. But not only that, whenever he walked into a room, there was presence. People knew when he walked into a room that he was there. It's just, that's the energy that he emanated. I mean, it was just natural. So Saul is, like, legit. Right? He's legit, comes from a good family, looks good, stands out. I mean, everything that you kind of would want for a king. You want someone that's exceptional. Well, what else? What else would you want when you're making your choice? Uh, Verse 15, now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him leader over my people Israel. He will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked upon my people for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. So good family, good values, good virtues, good looking, stands out. When, when they walk in the room, you know, you know that they're there. Next question, not in any particular sequence. Okay, God, I want my life to, to bring honor to you, and I want your blessing on my marriage, right? Lord, I really do. I, I, want, I want you to say yes before I say yes, right? Isn't that what it is? I want you to say yes before I say yes. So um, Samuel's wondering, okay, who's going to be the king? How are we going to pick this out? Uh, God comes, <laughs> shows him this amazing man, and then he says, I'm saying yes to this guy. I'm saying yes to Saul. This is the guy. Samuel, there's no question whatsoever. This is who I've elected to be the king. This is my chosen one. This is the one that I'm going to use to take Israel to places that it's never been. This is the one that will help to set us on the path and the course that will bring glory and honor to God. This one, Samuel, it's completely clear. There's no question. God is being very clear. This is the chosen one. Okay, all right, really good. Okay, let's skip ahead. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 9. Saul turned to leave Samuel. Oh, oh, right. (laughs) So Saul comes, shows up. He's looking for donkeys. Samuel says to him, listen, donkeys are back home. Don't worry about it. I need you to hang around. Samuel, uh, he listens to Sam. Saul listens to Samuel. Samuel says, hang around. Anoints him king. And then here's a test, right? This is the test. Samuel gives Saul some very specific instructions. And he says, do this. And just follow everything to the T, and I'll see you in a couple of days. So this is, he's good-looking. He comes from a good family, has all the rights, the values, the virtues. God says this is the one. But now here comes the test. You know, we got to put that fleece. Is this guy going to be faithful? Is he going to do exactly what, what God wants him to do? Is he going to listen to the prophet? Oh, and sure enough, he does. Saul follows Samuel's prescriptions to the T. To the T. So he's already a good guy. Verse 9, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. So, so as Saul is making choices, because you see now God has proposed, right? God has proposed. He says, Saul, I choose you. Do you choose me? 
Saul says, you know what, Lord, this seems like a good path to go. I choose you, and I'm going to follow this path. And as, and as their choices align, the, Saul's heart changes, right? As their choices align, Saul's heart changes. And if you keep reading the passage, it says that he was so enraptured by the Spirit that people thought he was being called to be a prophet. Is he one of the prophets now? Huh. Okay, let's see what happens. Verse 23, they ran and brought him out, and as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man? Here's the wedding ceremony. Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There's no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, long live the king. <laughs> all right, so I don't know anybody that's more wise, more perfect, more loving, more perceptive, more discerning than God. I, re I really don't. Do you know anybody? I mean, the God that I learn about in scriptures, that's, that's what I believe about him, right? So God picked Saul. God picked Saul. So one of the first questions you have to ask yourself is, how does this happen? How does this happen? Well, it's really simple. You see, and Saul's a good example. God is a good example. At that particular intersection in Israel's history, at that particular intersection in Samuel's history, at that particular intersection in Israel's history, um, Saul's will was aligned with God's will. Saul's choices were aligned with God's choices. Now, if you keep reading the story of Saul, just after this happens, you begin to see that he is having victory and triumphs, and he's excelling, and he's growing, and he's beginning to take over the world the way that God would want him to do. But something starts to happen along the way. He starts to make different choices, doesn't he? Does, does God's choice change? No. God's choice was the same. He, he, he had dreamt and he had believed and he had invested and, and he had planned on having Saul go forward in this great history. But somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line, Saul's started to make different choices. And here's a really critical point. I can only take responsibility for my choices. Right? I can only take responsibility for my choices. Now, I promise you, that I in no way measured up to God. <laughs> you reach this intersection in your life, whatever the reason is, and, and it's so easy for us to go down the path of it's this person's fault and it's that person's fault and this is what caused it and that's what causes. I talk to a lot of divorced people. <laughs> and, and folks, there's a lot of wisdom that can be learned from people who've been on this journey. There's a lot of pearls of grace that can be gleaned from people who've had this kind of detour in their life. Okay, I've talked to a lot of people, and, and, and here's, here's what's clear. You can only take responsibility for your choices. This may not be where you want to be, but you still have something to learn about yourself. Right? So I can't take responsibility for the choice of someone else to pursue a different path. Right? But I can pause, and I can look back, and I can dig up the ground, and I can reconstruct the road, and I can say, you know what? Here's some things that I could have done differently. Not to win their affection, but to be closer to the person that God wants me to be. Right? There's a big difference. 
And it's a critical moment when you go in this journey and your, mo- your motivation changes from how can I win this person back, right? How do, I, how do I fit their mold? Because apparently we believe that's what's wrong to, you know what? Actually, that's not what God is calling me to. God is calling me to bring glory to him by being who he made me. He's calling me to, to a standard of character and behaviors and values that brings glory and honor to him. Now, if this person doesn't want that, well, that's on them. But I'm going to choose to bring glory to honor God. I'm going to choose to have character that reflects him. So when you get to a detour, when you get to this kind of intersection, this is really, really important. You have a choice to make. And there's no greater desperation and there's no greater sense of powerlessness than feeling like you have no choice. You... (laughs) That is a terrible place to be. But there is a choice. There is a choice. We've, we've arrived at that juncture in the road, and we see two ways to go. Road closed, right? And we're stuck, and we're going to hang out there. And let me tell you, uh, those are miserable moments. Nobody's happy. Nobody's at peace. Just being stuck there, road closed, that's not a good place. Or you can say, you know what, Lord, help me to make this a detour. Help me to get there another way. And so uh, what does God do when Saul decides he's going a completely different way? What does he do? He finds David. And he says, you know what, I still have a plan for Israel. I still am going to accomplish my will. I'm still going to reach the world. Saul doesn't want to do that. You know what, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to move forward. Taking detour is a choice, and here's the choice. A detour moves us forward. It gets us out of the road-closed mentality that says, I'm just going to park myself here. I'm going to be miserable. I'm going to be unhappy. I'm going to make them miserable. I'm going to make them unhappy. And you know what? All of the world is going to know that this is a problem, that they're a jerk. Come on. That's not the Christian life. That's not, that's not how God would want us to live. God wants us, God wants us to move forward. So you have a choice. You could park it there and be miserable for the rest of your life. Or you can say, Lord, could you, could you, let's take a detour. Let's move forward. Let's, let's go another way. All right, so what's another way? I want to invite you, instead of going to your Bible, just open your program, your bulletin, turn to page 11. It's the order of service there. And I, and I really like the, the version, uh, and you'll notice there's two versions mixed together. Thank you, uh, Brian, for pointing that out. <laughs> this, is, this is really powerful stuff. Okay, I know what I'm doing. This is God talking to Israel. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. I have a plan for you. Now, let's, let's pause for a moment. Where are we in Israel's history? Israel has just been exiled from its own land and is now in Babylon. Why? Because they made a whole bunch of choices that took them out of alignment from God's will, out of alignment for God's plan for them. So he brings them here. This is not where they want to be. This was not God's original plan. But God says, you know what? 
Don't worry, I have a plan for you. Don't be disappointed. I have a plan for you. Guess what? I'm not going to leave you. I'm not abandoning you. This is just a different way to go. This is a different way to go, but the destination is the same. I'm going to restore you. I have a hope for you. This is clear. Now, the hope, this is, this is, this is really critical for us to understand. Um, sometimes in our marriage, we substitute our spouse for God. I see it happen all the time. And I, and I saw it happening in myself. I realized that a lot of my joy, a lot of my peace, a lot of my stability was being affirmed by the presence of my spouse. And I realized that in some ways I had idolized my spouse in the place of where God should have been. Now, what, what's really, really unfortunate about doing that because I, is, is this. It's very simple. Your spouse isn't about filling your gaps. Your spouse is about abundance. The person to fill your, your gaps, that's God. God's joy, that's God's healing. That's, that's God's intimate space in your life. Allow him to fill you. And in those moments, difficult moments, sure, your spouse will be an encouragement. Sure, your spouse will, will, will bring you words of wisdom, but so will a lot of other people. But God is the one where your, your stability is. God is the one where your hope is. God is the one where your plan is and your direction. That's the, that's the first love. And out of the goodness out of that love can you then be a really amazing spouse, right? Out of that, out of that abundance in your relationship with him, that will spill over into all of your other relationships. So take this detour, okay, this moment. You say, Lord, I want to move forward. I'm going to take this detour. And he says to you, guess what? I have a plan. And it's a really good plan. And, 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 and the first component in this really good plan is to, is, to, is, to, is to fill yourself with me. The very first thing is to go all out in your relationship with me. Wow. That's, that's so true. But Lord, right now, I'm just going to pout. I'm going to be really angry. And I know I've started on this detour, but now I'm just going to park it for a little bit because uh, you and I, we had an understanding. But God says, no, 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 listen. Follow my plan. Follow my plan. I, I have a future for you. You know, it is a detour. It is a detour. It's not the way you thought it would be, but we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Just give your all to me. So God, God responds, and he says quite simply, he says this. A detour is a plan that gets you there well. It's God's plan. If you allow him to lead in your life, if you say, you know what? I've been driving this car for a very long time, all by myself. I've been driving this car. I'm, why don't I, you know, in the words of that song, why don't I let just Jesus take the wheel for a little bit? Jesus, take the wheel for me. Let's, let's, go, let's go down on this journey because guess what? He's going to get you there. And when he gets you there, it's going to be all good. He's going to get you there. He's going to restore you. He's going to bring healing to you. He's going to bring hope to you. He's going to bring a future to you that, you know what, you never imagined. You never imagined. God's goodness surpasses our imagination like nobody's business. He's got something great. All right, so a detour moves us forward. A detour is God's plan to get us there well. Now, we're going to have a hard hat moment. Is that okay? A hard hat moment. Why, why is it that we wear hard hats? It protects you. 
you know? Something, something could fall on you that's, uh, that's not exciting and it could hurt you in a, in a, in a very not pleasant way. So, um, and I say this is a hard hat moment because I'm going to hijack a text that has been predominantly and almost exclusively used uh, for marriage. And you're saying, what? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, think, and I found that we do that a lot. We take certain portions of scriptures and then we say, it's only true here. And, and we don't do it intentionally. We don't do it maliciously. It just, it just happens. It just seems to happen. So guess where I'm, gonna t- guess where I'm going? Can you guess? This is really exciting. You ready? What? 1 Corinthians 13? That's like a marriage chapter, isn't it? Isn't 1 Corinthians... So like, what wedding, wedding reception, dinner rehearsal doesn't have, doesn't have this? I mean, um, it's, it's exciting to me because um, we all know it's true. There's a, a number of times during the year where we reference this passage, and I promise you, it's 98% of the time, it's, uh, it happens to be a wedding, and the other time is like Valentine's, right? There's two seasons. Wedding season, Valentine's season, 1 Corinthians 13. Now, this is, a, this is the hard hat, hard hat moment, so be ready. This is what he says. And now I will show you the most excellent way. That's at the very end of chapter 12. Now I will show you the most excellent way. All right, so a little context. This is the book of Corinthians. If you've ever read it before, you understand that there were some really dysfunctional people in this community, right? Made really horrible choices. There's a lot of tension there. There's a lot of brokenness. Um, there's a lot of ungodliness. There's a lot of disorderliness. And, and Paul is writing to them and saying, listen, this is not the way it's supposed to be. You're, <laughs> you're God's people. You've chosen a different way. This needs to be different. Now, read the chapter or two before, read the chapter or two after, and I promise you one thing you won't find is a wedding ceremony at all. This passage was written for a community that was going through some very difficult times, some very challenging times, where there was a lot of brokenness, there was a lot of disagreement, and and then this is Paul's appeal to them. He says this, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. So, having grown up with this being like the marriage passage, my marriage is falling apart. It no longer exists. One of the most difficult things is to go through something so traumatic, right? So traumatic, and nobody throws you any kind of ceremony for it, <laughs> right? A spouse dies, what do you do? A funeral, okay? Uh, a marriage dies, what do you do? You go hide in a corner. Because the event has been so shamed in the culture that nobody knows what to do with it. And so the ministry that normally can happen to people who are experiencing loss in their life, 
We haven't found a way to offer that ministry to people who are experiencing a very specific kind of loss. I remember I was in the middle of a funeral, a very intense funeral. It was unexpected death. The whole community was, was affected. And there was somebody that was working with me that knew what was happening in my life. And here I was coordinating meals to bring to this family because they didn't have any. And I, I had nobody to give me food. Well, she got a group of people together, and they brought me some food. And they wrote me a card. And I thought to myself, Lord, what an oasis. What an oasis to be able to, <laughs> that you were able to use one of your followers to minister to me during my time of need, during my own mourning. We really need to think differently about how we treat these very unique intersections, asking ourselves, you know, how are we supporting people who are experiencing different kinds of loss? Are we creating an environment that welcomes them to come and to retreat and for you to be an oasis? Are we saying, you know what, that's a little, that's a little awkward, kind of like this message is for some of you. It's a little awkward. I don't know if I want to mess with that. Well, here I am, 1 Corinthians 13, marriage is dying, and I'm saying to myself, man, how can I have love? Because I've only understood this passage to be something for married people. Well, you look at the context, and that's not true. This is not a married people passage. This is an image bearer passage. This is a passage that applies to anyone who recognizes that they bear the image of the one living God. You see, in Genesis chapter 1, it says, let us create man in our image. And if you read the original Hebrew, uh, it's saying mankind, right? Mankind bears the image of God. So that's to say that men bear that image, women bear that image, married people bear that image, single people bear that image, uh, divorced people bear that image. We all bear that image. We all have a responsibility to represent the image of God. And some of us do it really, really well, and others of us don't do such a good job about it. So this 1 Corinthians 13 is, is a really interesting thing because here's, here's the detour, okay? Here's part of the detour plan. It's that God is calling us to 1 Corinthians 13. In this moment... With a person that has hurt you so much, here's the hard hat, the person who has hurt you so much, who has disappointed you so much, guess what your duty is? Guess what your responsibility is? Guess what God is calling you to? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is not a passage reserved for your affections towards your spouse. This is a passage that is an appeal to all people, for all people. So, a detour. A detour affirms your greatest calling. When you say, God, God, take me. <laughs> take me on this detour. It affirms your greatest calling. Guess what that is? Love well. Love 
well. It's the hardest thing that you're ever going to have to do because you've loved this person, right? You've loved this person. You've invested in this person. You've given things up for this person. You've climbed mountains for this person. You've done all kinds of things. And here, what God is calling us to do still remains that we need to love them well. You want to get through this detour well? 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I'll tell you something, and let's be very clear about this. Loving well will probably mean loving differently than you have. So, for example, you're having a horrible day, okay? This person calls. There's some issue. You got to get resolved. You got to work out. And you're saying to yourself, I just, uh, if, if, I, if I talk to this person right now, I am going to punish them with so much. I am, I am just going to lay into them. So what would love look like in that situation? I think the kindest thing you could do in that moment, the kindest thing you could do in that moment is just say, you know what, I'm not going to pick up the phone. In fact, I'm, I'm not going to talk to them right now. The kindest thing that I can do for that person to love them well right now would be for me to first recalibrate, recenter, and get into a place where we can have the best conversation that offers dignity to both of us, right? Because if you get into a screaming match, if you get into this uh, verbal assaulting each other, it's, it's just, it's going to go nowhere. And does God really want you to do that? Is that how, is that, and here's why it's really important to do um, what God wants you to do. When you affirm how he's made you, it gives you strength, okay? When you affirm the image of God that he's implanted deep inside of you, that's where healing happens. And the more God-like things that you do, the quicker, the more meaningful, the deeper the restoration inside of you begins to happen. Affirm the image of God in you by loving that person well. It's going to look different. It's going to be hard. For example, you're sitting there with your lawyers and you're saying to yourself, man, I really want to punish this person. How can I make them pay? How can I make them pay for this? And you're, and you're going over, uh, you know, visitation and child support. And you're going through all this kind of stuff and you're asking yourself, oh, you know what? I'm going to let them have it. And you start to Name all the things they ever did wrong as a father, or all the things they ever did wrong as a mother. Are you setting yourself up for a really like Christian-like conversation right there? Probably not. Probably not. Refocus, recenter yourself, and, and remember, you're on a detour. This is not what you planned, but guess what? God has a plan for you, and as long as you follow that plan, he's going to restore you and bring you hope how can you love this person well in this moment? It's not loving them the same. This is not a, uh, you know, your, your heart is palpitating with eagerness because, oh, man, I just, I, I love them so much. But it's, but it's a principled agape love that says, you know what, I'm doing this not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, but because God's grace is pouring into me right now, and it's my duty, it's my pleasure, it's my honor to be a gracious person, to allow that grace to swell inside of me where it's just pouring out all over the place. Let me be a healing presence now. That doesn't mean you give the farm away. Hey, why is a serpent as harmless as doves? 
but it really challenges you to ask yourself, how can I love this person well? It's a hard thing. (laughs) Don't be fooled. It's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to go through, and and no no one ever really wants to go through it. No one, ever, no one ever gets married and says, you know, in about 10 years, in about 15 years, in about 20 years, uh, we'll just get divorced. In about five years, we'll just... Everyone goes into and invests in a marriage having eternity in mind. But sometimes, people make different choices. So what do you do? Well, you say, God, I'm not going to stay parked here. I'm going to move forward. And I'm going to trust the plan that you have for me, and I'm going to give glory and honor to you as best as I can. As best as I can. And may others be won by this testimony. I stand before you this morning, uh, not because I had it all together for the time that this journey has endured. And, and what's really exciting here is that when you're, when you're following the detour in town, you see the sign that says, road work ends, right? But guess what? It's a completely different path. The, the, the work is done, but you know what? As you're journeying on and you're making that turn on Redbud Trail, you remember, hey, this is not the way that I used to go. There's still a lot of work that happens even when the major road work is done. But when you commit to honoring God and allowing, allowing his image to be affirmed in you, allowing his image to be affirmed in you, you're on a good path to bring healing not only to those people in your life that are close, your children, your family, but to bring healing to that person. Uh, This morning at first service, we had a baptism, and this was someone who, uh, it was a powerful testimony. I had no idea this baptism was happening. A member of this community, some 20 or 30 years ago, I don't know how long ago, um, had an affair, (laughs) got married, left the church. Well, I I think he was removed from membership, And he's finally decided, you know what, Lord, I need to give my life to you again. And it was a powerful testimony. Here's here's the big picture, guys. Here's the big picture. (laughs) Who do we want in heaven? Do you really want somebody to pay for eternity for their poor choices? And if you do, then then I ask you to reconsider if you really have the love of God in you. Because the love of God compels me that no matter what pain I have inside of me, no matter what injury someone else has caused me, I have a responsibility to be an intercessor and do whatever I can, do whatever I can to help this person back on the path where they're affirming Christ's image in them. Sometimes that means I step away. It's going to look different. But be committed to not being a hindrance to someone Be committed to loving well. Be committed to choosing his path and allow him to guide in your detour. I want to invite you to take out your Connect card. Uh, Put out the information right here on the front side and uh, so we can contact you. There's a couple of follow-ups on this. It says, my next step today is, um, first one, sign me up for the Summer Detour blog series. This summer, Uh, twice a week for the next 10 weeks or so, I'm going to be sharing some simple lessons that I think were really valuable. Now, this is, these lessons, I think, apply not only to people who are going through divorce, but people going through all kinds of different detours in their life. Here's an example of one. I used to come to church 
and people would see me super happy, super excited, and uh, there was people who knew what was happening in my life, and they're just saying, Jose, it's just so encouraging to see you be so happy, so, you know, even though you're going through, and this was in the middle of it. One of the strategies that I developed was, I'm going to create spaces for different things to happen. And what I said, when I'm going to come to church, this is a space where I get to celebrate God. This is not about my problems. This is not about my burdens. This is not about what's not been done or resolved. When I come to church, I, I'm going to be happy. When I come to church, I'm going to praise God because I know he's going to carry me through. So I created a space in church that said, when I walk in here Sabbath morning, this is a sacred space. Nothing gets in. No bitterness, no aminosity, no anger. This is, this is a space that I'm setting aside just so that God can restore me and I can lift him up. And it, and it was that space. Uh, I created a space at the gym, <laughs> and I said, Lord, when I, when, I go into this, when I go into the gym, you know what, I'm just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on good health, and I'm going to focus on being physically well, okay? So I did that, and so identifying some of these strategies that can help you through a detour, and one of those strategies was creating spaces where different things could happen. And it just proved really meaningful to me. So if you want to get on that email list for that blog series, just mark that up. Next, next question, next step. I commit to praying for wisdom on how to support a close friend or family member through a detour. So let me be very clear. In a divorce, there are no winners. Everybody loses. No winners. So the tendency in our communities, in any community, is, okay, I'm going to pick a side, Right? <laughs> but let me tell you, folks, there's really, as a Christian, there's really only one side. Both sides are going to lose. It's going to be painful. It's going to be horrific. Even under the best of circumstances, everybody is suffering and losing in some way. So here's, what it, here's the prayer. Lord, how can I help them love well? How can I love them well? This is not about one side winning. This is not about, you know, proving this wrong and that wrong and blaming this and blaming that. It really isn't. This is, this is merely a time for you to say, okay, Lord, how can, I, how can I do this? Well, how can I be supporting someone who's going through this very difficult time? And then finally, if you're interested, send me the next 30, send me the 30-day next step prayer exercise. It's a really simple prayer journey. Regardless of where you are and you're wondering, okay, Lord, what is your plan? What, what is your vision for my life? Things have shifted. Things have changed. How can I take these steps forward? And it's a really powerful, simple prayer exercise. If you want to get it, uh, please mark that box and uh, let me know. Let me know that, uh, that we'll send that right away to you. My appeal to you is, is quite simply. Let's be the kind of faith community where we lift each other up. Yeah? No matter what. Let's not fall into the pressure of creating shame cultures around different types of peoples and different types of entities, but let's be the kind of place that lifts people up and calls them and affirms them and holds them up so they can be an image bearer of the Most High God King, our Creator, our Savior, and our best friend. Pray with me. Holy Father, I just thank you so much <laughs> because I have a story to tell. I thank you because I have a testimony to share. And Lord, I don't know who here needed to hear that. I don't know who here has created this as a space and we have no idea what's going on in their life, but they are suffering quietly and they're suffering alone. Lord, may they find encouragement in knowing that you can get them through this. 
You can get them through this. Help us to know how to be that encouragement to other people as well. And Lord, as we collect our tithes and offering this morning, we know so many of the ministries that our church supports and is invested in is about creating spaces for healing and spaces for um, community, spaces where we can affirm the image of God among our midst and restore people into that image of God, Lord. So bless those things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.